0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Pulling a Chrissy.
1: I have a sister named Chrissy. Her name's Christina to almost everyone else on planet Earth, but I still, after all these years, call her Chrissy and this is a study in the sharing of our Savior's sufferings. What defines this as a church body? Sort of the theme today is going to be us recognizing and ratifying afresh why we do what we do. Sometimes we just get into this mode of going to church because our parents went to church, their parents went to church, and it's just the right thing to do. It's, It's like the way we sort of honor God, like a little prayer before a meal. We just want to do it right. We want God to know that, you know, we're thinking of him. And yet the reason we actually gather for church and we are a church and what we are defined by needs to be understood by us. We need to remember this, especially when it becomes illegal for us to gather together. We need to remember why we gather. Are you willing to risk your life to gather together and to form a body, hey, I'll just be, my individual Christian life will be fine. I don't need to risk my life and go down the road or meet in someone's living room and call ourselves the body. What defines us as a church body? We are what would, most people would call conservatives. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny, and you could say, how do you know that, Eric? Well, most people do are, do not gravitate towards this environment if they do not have a conservative perspective on Scripture. In other words, it's God's word. Yep, He said it. He's kept that word around so that we could know it today, and it's right. It's 100% true, and it's accurate, and it points to one known as Jesus Christ. That's uh, conservative thinking. Liberal, you know, explains away the Scriptures, undermines it, questions it dashes it against the rocks and comes out the other side with self on the throne. A good conservative, I don't like even calling us conservatives, is going to come to the conclusion that, hey, the problem is really right here, not with the culture around me. I'm the problem, and yet Jesus Christ has supplied the solution. I'm going to bend my knee and let him take over my life because that's what the Bible says, and we believe it. So what defines us as the church body? You get a whole bunch of conservatives together, and you know that we all have something that we would say is very, very important. Because most of us have recognized in the day in which we live that Christianity isn't doing so hot. And so as a result, we have little miniature passion points. It's like, this has been missing in my generation, so I want to bring it back in my life. And again, that's part of what defines us. We're a whole bunch of people on hobby horses. We have a lot of things that we're passionate about, and those little passion points could easily define us as a church body, so I'm going to go through a few. So we can be defined that we pray. A lot of churches don't pray, and we're a praying church. Okay, That could define us, and it wouldn't be a bad thing. Everything I'm going to go through right now is what we can call righteousness. It's wonderful behavior, so we can be defined by the fact that we pray and other churches don't. The hours a day that we pray, oh, You know, we, other churches may pray, but have you ever seen how many hours our church logs in prayer? In other words, we can be defined by this. It's one of our options that we confess that we are bold to share the gospel and to share the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. We could be known as, yeah, that's the one church that is always talking about Jesus, always going down the road and sharing their faith. We could be known by that. The number of new converts we have weekly. See, I could say we could be known by that. I don't think we are known by that. I'm saying this is an option, this is what we could go after. I want to be a church that is known by how many people come to know Jesus weekly in our church. That's what defines it. You ever heard of the church in Windsor, Colorado? I mean, I heard that they have 100 people that they convert a week and bring in. I mean, that's just amazing. Everyone's like, wow. And they're all impressed with the church at Ellerslie because that's what defines us. That we give. Boy, is that a generous church. These are wonderful qualities. Uh, The amount we give to the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever heard about the church at Ellerslie? No, tell me. Well, I, I, I heard that they gave $10 $10 million to other charities. and like, Whoa, one church? Yeah, one church. Oh, I want to go there. You see, is that what defines us? That we serve. Oh, yeah, they're a servant-hearted church. They're always serving. As you're noticing this list, some of the passion points that you care about are on this list. And I can say, is this what defines us as a body? Is this what we're known for? That we serve? Well, that's a wonderful thing. The challenging and trying ways in which we serve. That church doesn't just serve. They get down into the darkest, most uh, dangerous spots on earth and they wash feet. They go where no one else would go. They clean things that no one else would want to clean. I mean, that, that's a church. Our morality. Uh, here, now we get uh, sort of close to home. Uh, our ethical rightness. You see, conservatives are known for these things. And so we could be known as the church that's, you know what, they just are like pure. You know, there's, they don't do the things that everyone else does. And so they're all set apart and pure there. How about our purity prior to marriage? Uh-huh. You know, we could brag about that. Have you ever heard of that one church? Yeah. Yeah. You know those people that wrote those books, Eric and Leslie? Yeah, they, they have a church too. Could you imagine what that would be like? <laughs> The manliness of our men. I mean, to be honest, if I'm just going to pick some of these, I'm going to arrange my top five. It's like, yeah, I would love to just arrange this. The manliness of our men. I mean, stick that near the top. Could you imagine someone's like, so what makes you a good church? Read this. (laughs) They're like, huh. I'm like, you have manly men? That's right, we do. (laughs) Our boldness to preach and listen to the hard things. Oh, yeah. We'll preach it there. And we'll listen to it. I mean, it depends on which angle. I could say, I preach it there. And then you could say, and I listen to it there. And we could be like, yeah, manliness of men preaching. The feminine grace of our women. Uh, See, some of the ladies are like, yes, we could put that near the top too. Our doctrinal excellence. There's a few people out there that wouldn't agree that we have that. Our theological brilliance. I don't know if any of us would think we have that. Our loud preaching, there's a whole bunch of us that think we have that. Our long sermons, we could be known for that. Have you ever heard of that one place? They have loud preaching and they are long. Our missions mindedness. Our large families. Oh yeah, that's that one church where if you have under 10 kids, you're looked down on. Our passion for adoption. These are all things that we could say, yeah, uh uh-huh. That's what we esteem. Yeah, We're the church that you know, sponsors adoptions. You should see how many adoptive kids we have in our, in, our, in our church. Our percentage of homeschoolers. We're aiming for 93% this year. The obedience of our children and their ability to sit still during a sermon. I am really glad we're not known by something like that. Talk about pressure. Could you imagine visiting a church that is known for that? Our dutiful attendance on Tuesday nights. That's a hint. (laughs) Our skill in discipleship or in making disciples. These are all things that a conservative church can aim towards to say, I want to be known by that. And as you listen to this list, you're going to notice that there are certain things in that list that you have a bait in your soul to be defined by. What's going to go on your tombstone? Any of those? Is that what you're here on earth for, is just to show off the fruits and the evidences of what God can do in a life? What are we here for? What do we gather as a church to do? All of that is what we can call righteousness. However, when we dig in our own pockets and attempt to produce that for the world to see, the world will not actually see what we are intended to showcase. We are not just intended to showcase what's on that list. Even though, we all know in this room, we are. But that isn't our focus and that's not why we gather. What defines us? We love Jesus Christ so much. We are all about Jesus. Everything we do points to Jesus. We believe that Jesus is the center. We make him the center. We study him, pursue him, worship him, seek to know him more, exalt him, share him, discuss him, and make him known you heard of that church in Windsor? That seems to be the only thing they think about. Every time they bring up a scripture, every sermon is all about Jesus. You'd think they would realize there's more things in this world than just Jesus. Yeah, we haven't learned that. We've learned Jesus. Jesus is our study. Jesus is our focal point. Jesus is the North Star to each of our compasses. What unites us as the church of Jesus Christ is the person of Jesus Christ. The way we honor our Father in heaven is by magnifying the person of Jesus Christ. Every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. The Holy Spirit has his place in this environment, and his role is to lead us to Jesus. We do not make the Holy Spirit the focus, Because if we do, we are violating the very purpose of why the Holy Spirit has been sent, and that is to magnify and exalt the name of Jesus Christ. What unites us is Jesus. We agree with the Father, we agree with the Holy Spirit, and we even agree with Jesus Christ. We are in agreement with what the Word of God in text and in person and in action at that cross has said. Put your confidence right here. We believe in Jesus And when we do, we are set free, we are changed, we are transformed, and we begin to exhibit righteousness, but not a righteousness that is our own. It comes from our own pockets, our own diligence, our own hard work, our own creativity, our own wit and wisdom and willpower. It's a righteousness that comes from the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the purpose statement of this church So in a very simple sense, as we sort of rehearse afresh, as we regain our focus, let's remember what church is about. Church is about a person. Salvation is done by a person. It's all gained in the person of Jesus Christ, and that is where we put our hope. All that flows out of that are the beauties and the benefits that truly showcase that we are focused on Jesus Christ. If we are focused on Jesus Christ, our men will be men. If we are focused on Jesus Christ, our women will be true women. If we are focused on Jesus Christ, we will pray and we will pray and we will pray and if we are focused on Jesus Christ, guess what? We cannot keep our mouths shut. We will share and we will share. If we are focused on Jesus Christ, you will see a transformation a holiness, a purity, that begins to exude and permeate this environment. And sin will not remain here. Because it can't coexist with our king. This is what flows out of a focus on Jesus Christ. It's not what defines us. He is what defines us. John Dunst and the Dunce cap. So we go back quite a few hundreds of years. Uh, around 700. And you have a man named John Dunce that is born. And that's how you spell his name, actually. Uh, Dunce. That's how you pronounce it, ironically. It looks like Duns, I know. But uh, he's the one that got us started on the Dunce cap. Isn't that an amazing thing to be known for? How would you like to be John Dunce, Uh, the poor guy? In history, he goes down, and what's he known as? A Dunce. That was his name. That's where it even came from. And yet, guess what? In the Middle Ages, he was known as possibly the smartest man on earth. Isn't that an amazing thought that down through history we now know him as a dunce? What did he believe? He believed that everything that was worth knowing, everything in academics, everything in all creation, was understood through knowing Jesus Christ, the creator of it. He wore a hat that was pointy. It was like a finger pointed upward towards the one thing that he said mattered most, and so as you see the progression of enlightenment and renaissance, you begin to see a diminishment of God and an exaltation of man, known as humanism. And as it began to creep into society, there were still a group of followers, hundreds of years after the time of John Dunst, that were known as the Dunces, and... They were treated as the absolute imbeciles of society because they kept hearkening back to the word of God in text that it points to the word of God in person. And what that word of God in person, Jesus Christ, did is everything that matters. Are you prepared as a church to put on a dunce cap? And to recognize that the simplicity of our focus and the reason we gather together throughout history has been deemed the highest levels of ignorance and foolishness. Uh You step into the realms of the learned and the intelligentsia and you say what I'm saying now and you will be diminished. Your voice will be considered uh, fringe. And yet, this is what binds us together as a church of Jesus Christ. The Chrissy lesson. So my sister, my sister, uh, we used to call her the saints, my brother and I, and I, I did not treat my sister well growing up. So all of you young kids, do not take any pointers from a young Eric Ludy and how to be a good brother. My sister is older uh, than me, and so she sort of set the pace in the public school system because I was always following her, and she's a couple years older than me. And so I was usually doing my best to try and eradicate any reputation the Lutie name already had, a pure and all holy and all jesus I No, 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 that's not going to help me in public school. And so I went out of my way to try and uh, add a little tarnish uh, to the Lutie name. I mean, God, I had some work to do, because my sister, oh, she was all about Jesus Christ and everything she did. I mean, could you imagine... A girl that is all about Jesus Christ thrown into the public school system. I mean, just try and use your imagination for a moment. Yep. And you come to what my sister had to go through. My sister was belittled, mocked, and ridiculed. She didn't say a lot in her. When she was going through school, she didn't hang out with the cool people. She didn't hang out with the popular crowd. You know what she did? She hung out with the foreign students. She hung out with the disabled students, and she would sit at their table during lunch that no kid in their right mind would ever do. No, no. You sit at that table, you'll be treated like that table. My sister sat at that table. Oh, I see. No, you know what you're doing to me? You're killing me. I have to go into the school next. I remember the teacher, my freshman year of high school, when I showed up, she was, you're not anything like your sister. Goes, Thank you. You know what? My sister had something. And there's a whole message dedicated to her. I'm saying, let's pull a Chrissy. Do we realize what it means to be Christ in this world, to serve Christ, to make him our focus? When you make your life about Jesus You're not going to look right to the world around you. You're not going to sit at that one table that's going to have you fit in. You're going to have to sit at the table that's going to cause you to be excluded. So my sister, in her senior year, they made the yearbook. And they had votes for everyone, you know, sort of like, I don't know what they were, the loudest, the most humorous, the most athletic. She won the most quiet. And they tied her to a tree in the picture. And they put a gag in her mouth and bound her to a tree. And that was in the, the yearbook. I mean, I was so humiliated. My sister's tied to a tree with a gag in her mouth in her senior yearbook. Oh, the loody name. You see, the way we will be treated by this world that scorns what we stand for is precisely the same. And yet I have a different lens on it now. I look back after being changed by Jesus Christ and I see my sister as a hero. I see my sister and I think, if I had only had the courage, if I had only had the boldness, the willingness to be treated the way she was treated, instead I wanted to be popular. And as a result, I sold my birthright for a bowl of red stew. The three options. So imagine that you are showing up uh, at uh, high school, public high school, and you have an option. There's the mean bully kids. You ever seen them? Yeah, they're in like every school. The mean bully kids, and they like have power. They can like exert that power and make everyone feel small, and I'm sure there's a certain satisfaction in it. I was not one of the bully kids, so I'm not exactly sure what it's like. And then you have the cool kids, okay? And that's That's where mainly most people are aimed. Most people aren't aimed at being the bully. They're aimed at just sort of fitting in and not drawing too much attention to themselves, but drawing the right sort of attention to themselves. So the cool class. And then you have the the Chrissies. Okay, so if you had some clothing, it was your first day of school, and you could choose which clothing you're going to climb into and go to school, go to high school, which one are you going to choose? Okay, so we have the mean bully clothing. No, I don't don't want that. And we got the cool clothing. Everyone's going to like you. And then we have this uh, one over here, you know, in your senior year, you'll be tied up and a gag will be put in your mouth and people will mock you and make fun of you and no one will ever understand you. Hi, do you want that one? No, no, I'll, I think I'll take the middle one, that, that cool one. Good choice. You see, the world has made it sparkle, it has little, you know, s- uh, sparkly things on it and it, it causes a, a lot of cachet value. It, it, we, it catches our eyes, like, I want that one. I want to dress in that one. See, the mean bully, the cool kid, and the Chrissy. You choose your clothing, you're going to school. Which one do you want to wear? My sister once said it, and I've actually given this quote probably four or five times throughout the history of this church. My sister, she convicted me whenever I was around her. And so I would roll up my sleeves, uh, you know, to show off all my muscle. I don't know if you guys have ever seen my muscle. It's really impressive. And so I would roll up my sleeves, and I'd walk around the house. My sister would come up, and she'd knock down my sleeves. She goes, Eric, Chrissy, just leave me alone. I don't need a conscience other than the one I already have, okay? Just let me be cool, please, without feeling bad about it. And so my sister said it this way. She said, Eric, imagine it's the day of Jesus' death. You're on the hill of Calvary. There's the cross, and there's Jesus hanging upon it. You have the mean bully kids, basically, that are hammering in the nails, you know, that are spitting, that are reviling. Then you have the rest of the cool class, the ones that don't really want to be seen, but they want to show up at the occasion. I mean, this is sort of a party. You want to be seen. Were you at the crucifixion? Yeah, I was there. You see, you have the whole cool class there. And then you have the Chrissy. And this is what she said. She said, imagine walking up to the foot of that cross, And everyone looks at you and they're like, what are you doing? And even though your finger may be trembling, you stand at the foot of the cross and you point up at this suffering Savior and you say, I'm with him. She said, that's Christianity. I'm going to tell you, that's Christianity. And everything within us naturally is repulsed by it. We don't want to be that person. And yet, that is the person I esteem. What has happened to me? That after all these years, I have been converted in my thinking to actually esteem whoever would do that as the ultimate hero. Even though in the lens of the world, in the mind of the world, that is the craziest, most idiotic, most doofish, dunce-like thing anyone could ever think of doing. Don't they know what's going to happen to their reputation? don't they know that they're going to be considered fringe the moment they do it? The moment you choose Jesus Christ as your clothing and you start going to school in it is the moment you need to recognize what you're choosing. You're choosing to be a part of the body of Christ. We in this room represent those that have had all the outfits set in front of us and we are dissatisfied with any clothing outside of Jesus Christ. Have we remembered the cost that we've already counted? Do we remember what we chose when we came to Jesus Christ? That we laid down all things. Because to get into the suit of Jesus Christ, you can't take anything with you. You have to remove all of who you are and climb in to Jesus. But inside of Jesus is salvation. There's only one means of finding it. And that's inside that clothing. Inside of Jesus Christ is everything you need for life and for godliness. Inside Jesus Christ is redemption, cleansing, washing from sin, forgiveness, purging of conscience. Everything you need to thrive in this life is found in the most awkward set of clothes. The one who is reviled, accursed, and cast off, mocked and ridiculed. And we say, I I choose that clothing. When you choose that clothing, you choose that position. In the same way he was treated, you accept. But you don't accept it with a grimace, you accept it with joy. If you are in your senior yearbook tied to a tree with a gag in your mouth, you take it with joy. Praise God, for so were the prophets before you treated. Understanding suffering, climbing inside the body of Christ. We are known as the body of Christ. And therefore, we must understand that to enter into this body means to enter into a body that suffers. I recognize we are also, most of us, are from America, North America, where suffering is to be eliminated at all costs. We avoid it like the plague. However, you have chosen a life, you have chosen a gathering, you've chosen a people, that understand and recognize that foolishness is inerrant. We have chosen a way, we have chosen a clothing that is deemed an idiot's clothing to the world out there. And we've chosen a body that has stripes upon it, that has a crown of thorns pressed into its brow. In this body that we have entered comes a form of suffering, psychological suffering, bodily suffering, emotional suffering. And yet, as it says, and Jesus himself says, nothing in any wise shall hurt you. you can say, what in the world does he mean by that? Because I sure am feeling the pain of it right now. Because everything that comes against you is leveraged by the very Holy Spirit, the grace of God that has been given you. And it's conformed into a blessing in your life. So the enemy can try and wield a whip against you. And what does that whip turn into to you? A blessing. A strength to your soul. A measurement of grace that is imparted to you. You receive greater strength through every difficulty you will face. You step into this body and it converts everything in a dying world into greater strength inside of your life. This is a strange home called Jesus Christ. And yet those of us that have found our life here never want to leave. But Eric, aren't you ridiculed, mocked, and falsely accused? Uh Uh-huh but everything that comes against me is turned into joy. Everything that comes against me is converted into a greater measure of grace and comfort. I get closer to Jesus with every hit. The enemy can in no way hurt me because no matter what he brings against me, and even if it's the final wage of this sinful world, which is death, and I leave this mortal body, it's not like you should feel sorry for me. It only gets better to live as Christ, to die, Oh boy, it's gain. This is the Christian. This is the body of Christ. We are single focused, single eyed on the person of Jesus. We are fools for Christ's sake. The fool, just in case you're wondering what your new description is once you step inside of this clothing, a fool is an idiot, a blockhead. A dunce, a dolt, an ignoramus, an imbecile, a cretin, a dullard, a simpleton, a moron, a clod. A nitwit, a halfwit, a dope, a ninny, a nincompoop. And by the way, kids, do not repeat this list. A chump, a dimwit, a dingbat, a dipstick, a goober, a coot, a goon, a dumbo, a dummy, a dum-dum, a fathead, a numbskull, a thickhead. Airhead, flake, lame brain, pea brain, bird brain, jug head, chowder dumb head, goofball, goof, goofus, doofus, galoot, lummox, knuckle dragger, meatball, or dumb clock. Welcome to the church at Ellerslie. The all-important refusal, saying no to the cool. I know, some of you have had this idea, because it's been passed around today, that you can be in the cool crowd and still in the clothing of Jesus Christ. You choose because it's one or the other. You can't be hip and cool and trendy with this world. At the same time, walk well in that skin of Jesus. Can't do both. For anyone who will live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Saying no to the cool, Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused. This is quite the thing. He refused. You know where this guy was? He was a son of Pharaoh. He was in position to take over an entire kingdom, lands, titles. He had it all, and he refused it? How much counsel would be given in alignment with that today in Christianity? No, no, you have a position here. He refused it. He gave it up. He forsook it to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God This is the body of Christ. We choose instead of lands, instead of titles, instead of fame, instead of power, we choose to identify with the people of God and we put on the clothing of Jesus Christ to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So what's going to define us? Paul was defined By Jesus Christ. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you're gonna know anything in this world, Corinth was a backsliding, miserable church. And he came in to that church, same time period we have. Corinth is very similar. He said, Look, guys, I'm not gonna come in and just try and impress you with my knowledge. I wanna give you one singular thing. I want to give you the one thing that will save you. I want to teach you Jesus Christ. I want to speak to you Jesus Christ. I want to live for you Jesus Christ. I want to show you what the church is supposed to be focused on. Jesus and what he did for you. Jesus and him crucified.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Lutie. Delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.